0: I'm Alex.
1: I'm Chris, and we're Lords of Topics.
0: <laughs> oh no, I've been I've been beaten to the punch. Was that the punch? This is Lords of Topics, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. That's why I'm here. Alex, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug?
2: Hi, I'm Alex, uh, also sometimes known as Themzel Took. Uh, I've been on this podcast a few times now. I do game development and Let's Plays on YouTube, and uh, don't have anything particularly specific to plug today, but maybe soon.
0: You could plug your Gordy and the Monster Moon Let's Play. Oh, yeah. I did a Let's Play of Gordy <laughs> and the
2: Monster Moon by somebody who is currently in the room with which me. I th- well,
0: <laughs> which I thought was delightful. Well, thank you. I'm glad you <laughs> liked it. I like the game, too. I may be biased. What What is Gordy and the Monster Moon? Chris, did I never tell you about Gordy and the Monster Moon? Oh. Is
1: that the game? So... Is that the game that you sent me a long time ago? Possibly. I think I played this. Okay, yes. I played this. It just, I did not know it was called Gordy and the Monster Moon.
0: I, it might not have had a name when I sent it to you.
1: At the time, it looked like a strange, it looked like it might have been connected to Frog Fractions because it had a framing device of someone telling a story, and I think they were frogs.
0: Yeah, that, thats that is the case.
1: I'm positive I asked you if this was Frog Fractions 3 at least several times throughout the conversation.
0: <laughs> and you would he wouldn't be the last.
1: <laughs> I really enjoy the fact that you've created a situation where basically anytime you do anything well, I was gonna qualify it with like out of the ordinary, but I guess that's really not necessary. Anytime you do anything, we can just ask like, "Is this Frog Fractions 3?
0: It is. You can you can ask that to anybody if you want. You don't have to limit it to me. You could ask it. <laughs> yeah, to-
1: but it's funnier when it's you. It's kind of evergreen. Like it really does not get old for. You at could least ask for us. your bank
0: teller like at Thanksgiving dinner. You could ask your mom if your this turkey is Frog Fractions three. That would be hilarious, but she wouldn't get it. Right. That that's what makes it funny. I think it's funnier if they get it.
1: And unfortunately the the audience for people who get that is like one.
0: Yeah, it's uh it is limiting. You did this to yourself. I, it's my fault. And Chris, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug?
1: Uh sure. I mean I'm Chris. I'm a game developer. Uh, professionally for money, some well, professionally for money and then also, occasionally for hobbies, um, I am also in a situation where I don't really have anything to plug at the moment, but maybe someday soon. Like most of us, I have no end of personal projects, but I'm enjoying one at the moment that's actually making progress. And who knows, maybe at some point on a future podcast, I can say, "Hey, remember that let's let's play you did that." I'm I'm blanking on the the phrase you used. I was gonna try and mirror it to to what Alex said. And Dang. Yeah. Yeah, I I had a perfect setup and I blew it.
0: Oh, well, <laughs> I'll be ready
1: for next time when I'm actually there.
0: This is why we edit the show. <laughs> <laughs> no one must know of my shame. You could you could plug Haiku Hero. I could, but that's ancient. And also, I don't think it exists anymore. I mean, it, it probably it, I bet I can find it on the internet. You got to emulate it in Ruffle.
1: I mean, you might have to do that, but well, um, here's the Rock, Paper, Shotgun article on it. So that's a thing. Nice. From Kieran Gillen, September 15th,
0: 2010. What, what a mensch.
1: A halcyon time. I actually, so a long time ago. He posted a thing on Rock, Paper, Shotgun about how to talk to the press. Yeah, And it was basically like describing, like, here's what, as a press member, we're looking for. Yeah. And so I read it, and I was like, well, okay. This seems reasonable and understandable. And you know what? If I reach out to him this way, the way he explicitly just told the world to talk to press people like him, then I think he's like just contractually obligated to respond favorably. So I did. And as a result, as a result, got several of my silly little like indie experiments featured on Rock, Paper, Shotgun.
0: And what what did Mm -hmm. he say? How did he say you should talk to the press?
1: Oh, man, it's been a while, so I'm going to have a hard time coming up with specifics. It was basically, we get a lot of mail, but we're also hungry for stories because we have deadlines and we're super lazy and don't want to like work for them. So if you just feed us an interesting story, then we're going to jump all over it. But you've got to make it interesting and package it for us in nice bite-sized pieces so we don't have to do very much work to throw it out to the public. So if you have something neat, tell us why it's neat right away and what it is. And send us screenshots and uh, media stuff. Don't make us go, like, spend an hour playing it before we find what's cool. And, respect and take, our the, time take and, your
0: own screenshots, yeah.
1: And, yeah, like, basically, I remember a lot of it was just kind of, like, respect their time and understand that they're looking for stories and would love to show off your cool stuff, but you, they don't want to have to dig for it.
0: I remember reading at one point that the way you do a press release is you just – write the article for them like as if you were them talking about you and so that like if they're feeling super lazy they can just copy and paste their your content into their cms and there they, they just they just produced an article
1: <laughs> yeah i can't find the article on it but i'm sure it was i mean you know it was obviously at least 15 years ago or something but yeah i i I got several from that. And then the funny part of course was this gave me a completely, I suspect, very unrealistic view of how easy it was to get uh. Well back, back on then it
0: was. Websites. Back then it was it was easy to get on like you could get on the front page of Kotaku by making a jam game, you know. Oh, and in a, fact I did. This is like a mildly interesting jam game. And because people were hungry for indie games and there weren't millions of them yet.
1: Yeah. So years later, when I was hanging out with some friends and they were bemoaning how they'd been like working on a game together and they'd formed like a little company and spent like a year making this game and none of the press would look at it. And I was like, haha, but it's easy. You just (laughs) send it to them and they publish it on their front page. And he's like, it does not work that way anymore, Chris. It really does not. (sighs) Yeah. And I felt bad. The other thing of course, was that after I'd sent him one or two of these things using his approach his requested approach was he started recognizing me and we'd occasionally send emails and he basically if i sent him something he'd almost always publish then after because like oh this is from chris the guy that sent me that quirky thing from before like these are usually worth like at least a mention i can get i can get like a quick blurb out of this on rock paper shotgun yeah so
0: i sent i i told rock paper shotgun about jamestown twice Mm-hmm. Once while it was in development, I sent them an email about it. It was like uh, I don't know how I was thinking about this, but like obviously I was promoting my friend's game, but I think I was just writing to them a, like as if I were just interested in the game um and both times it resulted in an article or at least or at least they they mentioned me in the article as like hey this this reader sent this in um and and both times Quentin Smith, who was the person who posted it, gave me the nickname the last biceps." I remember and referred, that. and referred to me as Jim, the last biceps Crawford.
1: <laughs> huh. I remember that. That was a thing. It was odd.
2: So no other context other than that. It's just a thing he did to you.
0: I don't think anything else, any other context is needed. I mean, that, that's the whole. That's the whole story. Well, <gasps> I, I, I have no idea why he picked that name. That's fascinating. I could perhaps track him down. Because there had been other biceps before
1: you, and so he knew you were not the first biceps. This is a good point.
0: This is, I, I didn't think to, to search for earlier biceps in, on Rock Paper Shotgun, maybe to, to find the history of my lineage. It's possible. Are we uh, ready to start on some topics? Always. Sure. Alex, your topic is living without software updates.
2: Basically landed in a situation kind of by accident where most of the computers I use day-to-day are uh, not really capable of receiving software updates. And it's been an interesting, um, been an interesting situation. Just have a a few things I want to talk about here. So my daily driver is a laptop running Ubuntu 20.10, which is, so that's the year and the month that it's released. So it's a couple of years old now. And that's a non-LTS version. So no long-term support means at a certain point, uh, software updates are cut off from it. And I can no longer update pretty much any of the system software that's on on my main computer. Um, if I try, it just tells me the repository isn't found because it doesn't doesn't exist anymore. And I have a Windows 7 computer that I use for video capturing things that require capture hardware. I have an old Mac. My, my newest Mac laptop is running Mac OS X 10 10.14, the last 32-bit capable version. So I have a bunch of old stuff here and um, yeah, it's just been an interesting experience, like, seeing how different that is from my prior experience when I tried to stay up to date on software. I've liked a lot of things more about this. Like, I don't like having needy things in my house, and <laughs> auto-updating computers are very needy, I've
0: found. Yeah, yeah, always asking you, like, to either reboot or not, or or don't turn off the power. Right, yeah. they
1: yeah. like this generation's version of shareware. <laughs>
2: Yeah, something like that. Updates would often come with surprises and almost never good ones. Uh, stuff would just break sometimes. So
0: what are the downsides so that you've noticed of running patch lists?
2: There are definitely some downsides. Every once in a while, I have a new piece of software that I want to run that I just can't because it won't install in my system. Uh, this has been rarer than I expected. But like, uh, if I wanted to run Steam on Linux right now, I just don't really have a setup for that. Uh, I tried to install it, and it just just wasn't really capable of it. I got OBS to work uh, with some effort, but it did take some effort to do. But basically, like, this has resulted in me more or less structuring my life around not needing to run new software. Being a programmer, I can... I can often just write my own solution to something if I need just a little utility or something right. like that. So that's a big advantage.
1: So is the situation, if you don't mind me asking, mm-hmm. is the reason they can't be updated because they have limited or non-existent internet connectivity or is it because they're just hella old?
2: The internet connectivity is there. I guess this is partially voluntary also. So the, the reason that this one particular laptop ended up in this situation was... I updated from the long-term support version that it came with to a non-LTS1. Then I tried the next update after that, and that had all sorts of problems. Basically, like, there was a graphics driver problem with the old version. I updated to a new one to fix it. I tried updating again and ended up having to revert that, which was a huge nightmare because it came with a separate graphics driver issue. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's just Linux for you. Um, but, yeah, so... I needed the specific system software for things to work well. And then I just kind of got comfortable with it. And um, someday I will probably install a newer distribution. But, you know, doing a whole operating system upgrade is a, a big hassle. And uh, I just kind of wanted to see how, how far I could get without it. Yeah. I might run into limitations, but but for now I've been, been pretty happy with how it is.
1: I was thinking about the internet because, of course, I was thinking, well, okay, like why... What kind of problems can I imagine you'd hit without updates? And of course, the Mm -hmm. obvious one is security flaws. Mm -hmm. And of course, the obvious way you get those is the internet. So I was thinking, well, if you don't have internet, then that might just not inconvenience you much at all.
2: Yeah, so I do interact with the internet a little bit differently on an old computer than I would on a newer one. So
1: use links, I assume, for browsing or (laughs) gopher. Not usually, but... Old computer humor. Yeah. Google it, people. If you don't know.
2: <laughs> so uh, I'm actually running an old version of Chromium that uh, installed via FlatHub. I guess it was specifically because that version doesn't auto-update. So when I initially got this computer, it came with um, came with Snap. What, what do they call it? Snapcraft, something or other. Um, so Snap is an auto-updating uh, distribution method for. Ubuntu and other Linux uh, distributions that I kind of really hated when I had it. What would happen is I would be browsing something and then suddenly the little dot that tells me that uh, Chromium is open on this computer would just go away on the launch bar. So it would look like my browser wasn't open even though the window was still there. Eventually I figured out what that was doing is it's Snap had updated my browser in the background while it was still running and like <laughs> replaced the executable.
1: So the executable on the bar was in fact not running. You're just running some out of date old version like a yeah, exactly Luddite or something. Oh, that's weird.
2: Yeah. So like if I try to click on the thing to switch to it in the launch bar, it would just launch a new one, like a second instance because the, the executable was different. Huh. So basically like even though it was trying to let me keep on using my browser, like the the old version that was running, I'd still be forced to close it just because I, I couldn't interact with it the same way when it had auto updated.
1: Yeah. So I guess the question is on the balance, do the pros outweigh the cons? Would you would you do this again if you weren't forced into it by a maze of weird update problems?
2: I would say the pros outweigh the cons at least for now. I assume there's going to be a tipping point someday in the future where that's no longer true.
0: Yeah, like at some point you're going to there's going to be enough websites that need you to run the latest version of Chrome or whatever. This was several years ago. I don't think it's possible to do anymore. I just turned off updates in windows Mm -hmm. because i was like okay i need to i need to i need my computer to work for the next week and then i forgot to turn the back on for like over a year and nothing bad happened like it was just yeah because security best practices are bullshit (laughs) (laughs) by contrast um back when i was running a wordpress site i would update diligently and it would still get hacked at least once a month oh wow oh my And which just meant like people were like inserting like JavaScript into the web, into the site. If you went to twinbeard.com, you might be, you might get some, you might be running a JavaScript Bitcoin miner or whatever.
1: (laughs) When all I wanted was to find out about the little beads in your ears.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, I, that joke, that might be a reference that's too old for the for the listeners of this show.
1: (laughs) Well, you're going to have to explain it because I'm not.
0: Yeah, this does, this this site doesn't exist anymore. But back when I was running a blog, like a personal blog, I had a post that was like, do you ever get those balls in your earlobes? And I was talking about like little cysts that would, you know, form lumps in your earlobes. You could like squeeze them and they'd be hard and like, like there was something in there. And that was basically the extent of the post. But the the engagement that this got was through the like the by far the most it was by far the most read and responded to post on my blog where it had hundreds of comments and, and was getting I don't know how much traffic it actually was getting. But, you know, for me, it was a lot. And of course, it's self-sustaining,
1: right? Like because of this, when people searched Google for those little balls in your ears or whatever, it's like, oh, it sounds like you want to go see what Twinbeard wrote.
0: Yeah, yeah, a little, the, the sebaceous cysts apparently is what they're called. Uh, yeah, that page is not online.
1: <laughs> Disappointing. <laughs> now it's just bitcoin malware. Well,
0: th- I, I I transitioned TwinBeard.com to a static website a long time ago for the, for exactly <laughs> that reason. Like WordPress was not providing value to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Worth at least worth the, you know, the hassle of going in and removing people's extraneous JavaScript from my website every month yeah oh, and similarly I actually just got a new phone because my old one was just old enough to be less useful mm-hmm. um, but that phone like every once in a while I would be like you're a year and a half out of date would you like to update and I would <laughs> I would hit the back button because no I don't want to update mm-hmm. I, I was very very proud to say that, that like I'm actually very happy to say that like Google, does apparently not force you ever to update your Android phone, mm-hmm. which is nice, uh, which is not the case for Windows. Windows, as far as I can tell, makes it impossible now to actually turn off updates. It's like, we're doing this. Yeah.
1: Yeah, on a laptop I had a while ago, quite a while ago, like probably two laptops ago, it did eventually reach a point where it would try to auto-update or it would ask to auto-update. I mean, it would let me deny it. And then the update would always fail. And then it would the next day be like, man, I really want this update. Can I update? And I'd be like, mm. fine. And it would try <laughs> again and it would fail. Yeah. And it was just super annoying. Like I didn't care that it wasn't able to update. I just cared that it was bothering me every day. So right. eventually I this was, I guess, back when Windows let you do that also. So I just turned it off and said, never ask me again.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. I feel like the the closest thing I have to a conclusion to this whole thing is just like, Sort of philosoph- philosophically, it feels like my computer actually belongs to me. If uh, if it's not
0: updating itself all the time, surprisingly, if you actually have control over it, yeah, yeah. that's nice. Yep, it feels good. Yeah, and like, and I and I'm, and I'm painting with a pretty broad brush here. Software developers are not trustworthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> like, not. They do not have our best interests at heart when they make updates. Like they have an agenda they want to push, whether that is like windows like patching in ai functionality into ms paint or whatever i'm
1: still kind of upset with a number of decisions made in windows 11 mostly regarding things like oh you liked having the taskbar other places in the bottom too bad it is now stuck here this is where it lives now you will like it
0: that is too bad i didn't know about that i I, yeah i have fortunately not updated to windows 11 yet
1: The forums are talking, because I always like putting it on the right-hand side of my second monitor, just way off to the right, out of the way, because, you know, programming, I do a lot of text editing, so horizontal screen space is meh, because I try not Mm -hmm. to make lines super long anyway, but vertical screen space, that's great. I love that stuff. And so having a taskbar at the bottom, you know, especially when it often isn't even full, eh. I could do without it. So I just as soon have that on the far side and get to read, you know, a couple of extra lines. Yeah. yeah, I can see it. And after supporting it for a lot of windows releases, they just decided on this one. Nope. Can't do it anymore. And the forums are full of people. Like, why did you take this out? Like what, what's wrong with you? and there's some i don't know i don't have it in front of me but when i read it it felt very kind of like self-satisfied and smug reply about how like well it's no longer supported and we looked at it and it just be a lot of work to support it again so we're not going to do that it's a low it's too low a priority for us not mm-hmm. enough people want it and it's just like other updates that windows brought that were unwelcome are that the right click menu now brings up like a I don't know, a Fisher-Price, my first right-click menu, and oh. you have to go to the option, more options on it to get the old one that actually had all the stuff that you wanted, like the extra context yeah. menu options that your programs had installed. Like, I just want to open my text file in Sublime Text, people.
0: Maybe that's like a first draft, but like I, I feel like when you right-click on a file, it was a, a problem for a long time, and maybe still is, that it would take a long time for the right-click menu to populate. Because there were all these like different plugins that could be like, oh, 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 pick me, pick me, or, put me on the menu, mm-hmm. and you would have to talk to all of them. And so maybe hiding that behind a sub menu would like make the right click menu pop up faster.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But like, maybe presumably you would have the ability to like say no, like there are some of these that I really do want like to easily pin these to my start menu, you know, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Well, and I feel like after however many versions of windows like okay i'm about to engage in that most dangerous of pursuits which is making completely uneducated guesses about how someone else's code works it's
0: okay when it's microsoft
1: i would be horrified if right clicking on a file meant it had to go and pull every single extension registered on the computer that should like the whole (laughs) point of saying like this computer this program i'd like to register it for text files json files T, E, X, T files, W or RTF files, whatever, is like you're telling the computer like these are the only files I care about. Anything else I don't care about. So if it's not putting that in some kind, well, A, it should clearly be putting that in some kind of like readable list anyway of like, oh, you want to have a special thing for it. I should only ever look at that if I'm doing that file. Like if I'm clicking on a JPEG file, it should not even be querying the Sublime Text plugin unless Sublime Text has registered for that.
0: Listen, maybe Sublime Text recently patched and just added JPEG support. Windows has to know. Well I mean but if it did
1: that then as part of the patch process, I mean that's always the install thing, right? Like it has a thing saying, would you like to add this to the right-click menu for programs that do? And it had a little checkbox and you say yes and then presumably it goes and adds itself to some kind of hash map of lists or something. At least I would hope so. But meh. The one that really bothers me is that the start menu seems to be it wants to do bing searches if i try to like it used to be i could hit the windows button and like start typing the name of the program on my computer and bring it up but now if i do that it does a bing search for that that like might oh. show me the programs on my computer but might also just be like oh sublime oh yeah let me show you the wikipedia page for sublime that's good and it then also shows me a bunch of ads over on the side like check it out Africa's cool i was
2: wondering if there were ads oh no
1: and it's like, I mean, Africa is cool, but, like, I just want to open my programs, friends. That's got to be
0: Why? configurable. And by which I mean you could install Windows 95 and then <laughs> – <laughs> Right. Which is a form of configuration.
1: Anyway, I'm sorry. I kind of hijacked the topic from the joys of not updating to Chris complains about modern Windows. So um, maybe we'll Sure, so
2: you, you represent the other side of the table. <laughs> I
1: mean, I'm supporting your thesis here. I, I yeah. recognize that. So there's at, least some, like, <laughs> there's at least some continuity, but we can just leave it as Chris is annoyed at a number of modern Windows decisions. Some of them you can get around with the good friend of editing the registry, but some of them you can't. And uh, that's annoying.
0: I I feel like like the the searching the web by default instead of searching your local file system like that's got to be configurable. That's got to be something you can like at least anyway. i I'm running Windows 10. Keep it up. Yeah. Are we ready for another topic?
1: Sure. Or at least I have nothing more to add, but it wasn't my topic, so...
2: <laughs> yeah, I've uh I've run out of steam on that, I
0: guess. Chris, your topic is I like Cyberpunk.
1: Okay. Yeah. I like cyberpunk. This one, (laughs) I was telling Jim how I'd finally gotten around to trying the cyberpunk game that launched to a lot of disappointment and bad reviews and being pulled from the PlayStation store by Sony like a year or two ago. And I'd finally gotten around to trying it now mostly after watching a friend of mine play it and discovering oh it seems like they fixed a bunch of stuff and apparently yeah they did like some major major overhauls over the past year
0: yeah it's been like three years since they launched it whoa right long? at least two it like you can do a lot of software development in two or three years
1: yeah well it's hilarious because i'm like they I, the, I started recognizing just how much they'd done when i was curious like i'm playing through the game, I decided early like all right whenever i play games like this i always say all right i'm gonna be like a sneaky hacker man and like be all stealth and silent unconscious non-lethal takedowns and hacking their mainframes and everything and i always play basically the same game it's kind of my version of playing a stealth archer in skyrim or something so i thought i'm just gonna mix it up a little bit and not just deliberately cut myself off from a whole bunch of gameplay by self-imposing like that i'm never going to be seen and always going to be sneaky and whatever so i was like all right i'm going to be a cyber ninja it's gonna be great spoiler it has actually in fact been pretty great but i was like googling and i was like okay i wonder like where do i find like a a good knife like ninjas need knives so i i I was checking and google is telling me things like you can often buy them from restaurants which is true (laughs) but the the downside of them is you can't throw them unless you take the perk for it and i'm like wait what and so apparently like just basic things like this have just changed entirely like that perk no longer exists knives just you can throw them all of them because they're small handheld objects and you can do that and
0: oh yeah so because of this because of these major changes like guides online are going to be out of date
1: Super out of date. And like just have factually incorrect information that's like describing, you know, talent trees that no longer exist and game mechanics that are very different now.
0: That's I kind of like that. I'm kind of into that.
1: I almost want to do that on purpose, like just make a game and then just halfway through, like after it's been out for a while, patch it into a different game and just let people deal with it. Yeah. All right. So, anyway, long story short on math is yep, they've definitely changed it a whole bunch. But I'm really finding that the experience is basically kind of what I've, like, the experience I've always wanted out of games like Deus Ex, which is, you know, one of my favorite games, like both the very original one and Human Revolution. I don't think I ever played Medkind Divided. I heard mixed things about it. I guess I never played Invisible War either, which I also heard mixed things about. But the ones that I played, I enjoyed. And the whole kind of fantasy of exploring a dystopian futuristic city and giving like a a reasonable in-game explanation for why you're like getting various power up and upgrades because you're expanding your cyber wares and whatnot like that's that's fun and they've done a fantastic job of just realizing that fantasy with a truly expansive city to go explore but backing out for just a moment the, the genesis of this particular topic was i was describing this to jim and he was like, by the way, do you want to be on Topic lords next week? And I was like, yeah. And then I started typing up a bunch of stuff in the chat, and I was like, wait, I should just, can I just gush about this game for a little bit, and the game design aspects that I think are cool on Topic Lords. Can that be my topic, or one of them? And he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. So here we are. And you, gentle listener, now have to pay the price. But things that I thought were really neat is I view it kind of like I, I view Half-Life. And in here's where I say some kind of controversial things. Half-Life has a really bad story, in my opinion. People like to talk about how cool the story of Half-Life is, but if you think about what the actual story, the actual plot is, it's basically the same plot as Doom. It's, man, we scientists sure are fun. We're going to make teleporters. Oh, no, they go to hell. Demons are coming out.
0: I remember trying to explain to somebody like why the story of Half-Life was cool, and like halfway through my explanation, I was like, wait a second. This <laughs> is not interesting, actually.
1: It's not. The the thing about Half-Life that is cool is the technique they use to tell the story. And that's why everyone's like, oh, my word, this game was amazing. Because at the time, it absolutely was. I mean, it still is. But it was kind of – they did a lot of environmental storytelling, and they did a lot of showing instead of telling. And they let you kind of experience it firsthand rather than just you know give you a wall of text, which was the – Tradition in those days, right? And I feel like Cyberpunk is kind of the same way. Like it, it has a story. It's, I mean, it's better than the Doom slash Half-Life story, but that I view was kind of a low bar. But it's still like, it's not a complicated story. It's a little bit tropey. It's basically exactly what it needs to be, which is kind of a pulpy future noir story. It has not surprised me with very many of the story beats. Like they're pretty much exactly what I expected. And that's fine. That's that's kind of all it needs to be is to give me a nice framing device, an excuse to run around this futuristic city, some motivation to like advance the plot occasionally, and then just kind of get out of the way and let me have fun. Right. But what what's really impressed me is the way that they tell this story is again it, it's kind of like the same thing they did with half-life except like much much more so like i think they've really done some cool things for just building up immersion and i want to like just kind of run through a few of them and, and talk about them because i think they're really cool yeah let's hear it the the big one is they never with one exception that i can think of which is at the very beginning when they have a, a little like basically they have like a a super short like origin story slash tutorial for you where you play through like one quick adventure and then make a friend and then it gives you a montage of like the next several years of your life doing various things with them basically like you find a partner in crime and you guys go off and like do cyberpunk adventure things but aside from that all of the cutscenes and set pieces of the game are are from your character's point of view. You never it never takes you out of the character and is like come over here and watch this scene from some other viewpoint, which is you know pretty neat. But then they also combine this with some very smart kind of directing. Like they don't they don't lock you into boxes very often. Like the the way I'm used to seeing this done is You know, you get in an elevator, and then the door's shut, and then you have to like watch the cutscene out the window, and you literally just can't leave this little box. And yeah, you can move around and stuff, and it hasn't taken you out of the character, but it's still locking you into this. Right. And while there probably are a few places like that, I'm sure they've used the elevator for at least something dramatic. They also do a lot of very human-feeling things. Like, they do a lot of kind of cutscenes where, like, the way it'll start is... It'll give you a prompting to like sit down. It'll give you the interaction icon over a chair, and you can sit down on the chair. And then, like, you and a person will have a conversation. So, during this, you can't move because you're on the chair and it won't let you till you finish the conversation. But you can look around. It usually gives you a limited range of vision based on roughly where you could turn your head. But it keeps you there, sitting there, and you can look around and stuff's still happening in the background. But it feels very. I don't know, like it, it fits really nicely with the sense of immersion they're building. And the other thing that they do that I think is really smart is they let you look at yourself in place, like they give you a lot of casual glimpses of your hands or your feet or whatever. Like if you're sitting on it, if you're sitting down at a table in one of these conversation things, like if you look down, you see your knees. If you look, to your left, you can probably see your arm on the armrest, or maybe holding a drink or whatever. Like, and it you know changes based on whatever your outfit is, because of course, like any good role-playing game, it has a voluminous closet of costumes that you can use for virtual dress-up. But it constantly reminds you that you're not just a floating camera with a gun in the world, but like you're a person-shaped thing. Yeah. And they get a lot of mileage out of this also in cutscenes where things happen. Like, I was playing one last night where. Somebody is explaining to me that they figured out a way to teach their friend Kung Fu Matrix style. And their friend is absolutely not like, their friend is like kind of just some chump. And so it offers to give you a chance to like help demonstrate this. So they invite you to throw a punch at their friend. And, you know, that's just a thing you can do in the game. You can throw punches and you throw a punch at them and, you know, you get to see your hand go out. And then you get to see them like, you know, grab your hand and like twist you around in some judo nonsense and put you in arm bar and, you know, your view goes down. It's an angle like it's clear what's happening. And it's very well, again, like I guess just kind of immersive is the right word for it. Like it makes you feel like you're there and it shows you the parts of your body that would be in view at the right (laughs) times. And they just do that constantly, casually. So it's not like it's not even a thing. It's just what happens. Or I remember there was one spot where something exploded me and I went flying and, you know, I could see like my feet cause I was like flying back head over heels. And they do a good job of not making the camera go too crazy and making me feel nauseous, but they do a really good job of just giving you places to view the story from that feel like, again, like they're in a person in the story and not like a faceless camera. Yeah. One thing I find really, really neat also is like first off, the city is lavish in terms of like the production values on it? I mean, it's also like a future dystopia slum, but the amount of like casual work that went into it, like just things like I was walking down the street on it yesterday and just admiring how like how there's just like several blocks that have just been tagged up by graffiti on the under the overpass. And I walked along the whole thing, and I did not see a single repeating, a single repeated texture. And yeah, I'm sure if I went to other places in the city, I'd see the, some of the same textures repeated. But just the number of graffiti textures they had. Like, it's like that everywhere. One of the ways they like to deliver exposition is also in cars. Like, someone will drive up and be like, all right, we got a job. Get in. And you'll get in the car, and it'll just be driving from point A to point B in the city on the road with like all the, you know, random other simulated cars and people walking around and while it's doing like a little conversation thing of, and the conversations are just, you know, picking options from a list and they're clearly designated of this is a flavor option, or this one will advance the conversation to the next stage option. But you get to do that while you're sitting in a car and can look around and be looking out the windows. Like the conversations usually take less time than the drive and it, always gives you the option to just skip ahead to the end of the drive but you know i never do because it's it's actually just really fun watching this crazy city that they've rendered in 3d for me slide by
0: yeah the city was always the most appealing part of that game to me Mm -hmm. it's like the idea of and this is is the same with the grand theft auto games and it's the only reason i'm anticipating the new grand theft auto game is like i just want to be in that place yeah like i've got no interest in the gameplay they're gonna give me but i (laughs) want to be in that place i want to listen to that i assume they're they're still doing a radio even though nobody listens to the radio anymore like Uh, there's an alternate reality they're positing where people still listen to the radio probably yeah
1: well in this so interestingly they said they were done when they released like the expansion earlier this year but about a week ago they're like surprise one more big update it has a bunch of features okay now we're done for real Uh and one of the features was the ability to listen to the radio outside of cars just while you're walking around Uh and they have i mean it's like grand theft auto they have like a bunch of radio stations that have a bunch of made-up music and talk shows and news programs and whatever and the other they added i guess this was in the trailer videos and then got cut and they finally put back in the ability to ride on public transit as fast travel. <laughs> like, or I should clarify, they all they've always had the ability to walk up to a bus station and click it and tele- insta teleport to any other bus station in the city, but they put in the ability to, to do that and then actually ride on the bus and watch the city go by again because people like to do that and I understand why. Right. Also, the other interesting thing is I feel their setting helps a lot for making... So they have a ton of people. And because it's like this crazy cyber future, there's a lot of weird things people will put on their bodies from like weird high-tech visors to like weird... just like cargo pants, shorts or skirts or normal clothes ranging to like weird future clothes. And all of this is stuff you can find in, you know dress yourself up as, but it also means they have a huge pile of random clothes to populate NPCs with, which means just random dudes walking on the street look very different in a way that like Skyrim, it kind of felt like, Oh, it's peasant number eight. Cool. One of the 10 peasants I see.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Breath of the wild did something similar, but only in the, like the design tools where like all of the NPC faces were just, Edited using the the uh, the me editor, like the mm. the avatar editor for the Wii. Mm-hmm. Like you can you can see those pieces; they're rendered in a slightly different style. But like you can go pretty far just by having, in in terms of providing variety and characters, just by having like little Mister Potato Head pieces. Yeah.
1: Well, and again, like the the setting for it's supposed to be like a weird future for just people. It's a crazy like the premise is is it's a West Coast City. I actually had to Google to see if it was supposed to be San Francisco because it has a lot of similarities. I mean,
0: was it?
1: Uh, no, it is technically a fictional city halfway between San Francisco and Los Angeles. Okay. I was confused when there's a the a part of the coastal side was called Pacifica. And I was like, wait a minute.
0: Uh-huh.
1: But no, it's not. But you could be forgiven for wandering around it and thinking this looks kind of San francisco Right. Anyway, that's most of what I wanted to to go over. I mean, there's I could get into details, but I think that's the gist of it. They they did a really good job of telling the story entirely through well-designed first-person scenes, where you still have some agency and can look around and really feel like you have a character there that's doing stuff. And I don't know, it just works for me. I've, I've had a lot of fun just running around exploring the city, and they have a good assortment of like interesting things to discover. And reward you for poking around like <laughs> yeah. I recovered stolen, a stolen painting by downing a satellite, I bought a monument to a crazy street preacher, I participated in a secretive underground boxing tournament, like <laughs> there's a stuff, and it's cool. And it all fits nicely together. And it never takes you out of the first person view. So Kudos to them.
2: So I'm curious, like, how much of a typical play session involves moving the story forward and how much is just sort of playing around freeform? Like, whenever you sit down to play it, are you do you have the story in mind or do you just sort of do whatever and maybe story happens?
1: I was actually reading a a Reddit post the other day that made me realize just how short the actual story is in terms Mm. of, like, mission segments. Like, there's not that many things to do to get from the start to like the very end i mean there's a fair amount of content it's plenty but most of the time i sit down to play and then i'll think well actually i kind of want to go over there or maybe i'll head that way because that's where my next big story thing is or even to sometimes maybe i'll head over that way because that's where there's a like there's an npc over there that's not the main story thing but they've got some stuff going on i want to go see what they're up to and then i'll just get distracted on the way because there'll be like a crime in progress i'll decide to stop it like some kind of high-tech future vigilante sometimes i'll be halfway over there and like see just something weird going on or meet some weird monk in the park who invites me to meditate with him or just like there's stuff all over the place it is dense with things to do so honestly most of my play sessions well at this point i'm pretty sure that the next thing in the main story plot will start to trigger kind of probably the end of the game it feels mm-hmm. about like that i've been playing for a while but i haven't even gotten to the dlc stuff yet so i'm probably going to go explore the dlc stuff before i go there but even without that like there's just a lot to keep me busy like very few play sessions i guess to answer your question most of the play sessions where i thought i was going to go advance the story maybe half of them i actually got around to it and the other half just got too distracted by like walking somewhere and either thinking something looked cool or seeing something interesting to interact with, and then spending a bunch of time on it. Like it's, it's a very distracting city. Like there's just a Mm -hmm. lot of, of interesting fun side content to do. Cool. That's neat. And no, I'm not being paid by CD project red for this endorsement, (laughs) but if CD project red is listening to this podcast and wants to send me a little night city merch, I'm not going to complain
0: Yeah. We might have a listener.
1: You never know. Yeah. Anyway, that's about all I have to say on, on the topic of cyberpunk. So if you want to move on to topics, then that uh, <laughs> aren't just me blathering about a game I like, then have at it.
0: Oh, I mean, that's what, that's what we're here for, but it is probably time to move on. Uh, my topic is I had a friend who would argue with the people collecting signatures in, in support of a proposed law, not about the, the proposal itself, but the methodology behind it. I remember going grocery shopping with this guy when we were roommates and we were leaving the grocery store and someone was like collecting signatures in San Diego. I forget what the bill was, but they were collecting signatures for like putting something on the ballot. And like those people expect like one of two reactions. One is to be totally ignored and the other is like, yeah, I'll sign your bill. I'll sign your your petition. And they were completely unprepared for this guy who was like, well, what – were there, stu- were, what were the studies that, that showed that this bill was a good idea? And the guy was like, I, I don't know. And he was like, how do you know you're volunteering for a good cause? And this went on for like two or three minutes. And like and in the meantime, like people are like walking, but people they could have asked and who would have said yes or no immediately are walking by and being, yep. <laughs> and I kind of respect this, but also like, well, first of all, I was just annoyed. I was like, let's go pa- put the groceries in the car and go home now. But also I kind of respect like the diligence, but also this is not the time and the place. Mm-hmm. Like this is not this is not the person you ask for, for for to back up their work.
1: I mean to play devil's advocate here, or I guess in this case your querulous friend's advocate um, who totally isn't me, by the way. For no, anyone watching. No, although. Um, now that I think about it, it would be in character. It would not be out <laughs> of character. If his or her problem was, in fact, with the process, then delaying the person from carrying out this process seems like a reasonable approach. Sort of like delay, well, yeah. like making a telemarketer stand in line with you while you fumble for whatever yeah. numbers that you never give them makes them like not interrupt someone else's dinner.
0: Yeah, but I know for sure that this guy, like, that he wasn't, like, he didn't know that this, this wasn't a delaying tactic. This was like, he genuinely was trying to, like, do civic, civic engagement and, and discourse with, with this, with this volunteer on the street. Um, but I agree, like, if, if you know that this is a, um, a, this is a, a cause that should not be, be, be advanced, then yeah, you see lying the shit out of those guys. Well, even without the cause,
1: I think there is an argument to be made that the the method does have some flaws. Like, in theory, the idea of the voters can just put something on the ballot as a way of directly influencing the state, even if, like, like kind of as a backup if their legislators are not uh, listening or don't want to or whatever or corrupt or, or captured by industry or whatnot. Like yeah, that sounds that sounds great, but in California at least, I think there's oh I read some study a while ago and like by far like most of the things that get put on the ballot are put there by companies trying to do an end run around the legislature because to actually get the what is it like one million signatures to get it on the ballot or to get it on the ballot like is a task that is difficult to do unless you can just pay a bunch of volunteers to stand outside of grocery stores and collect signatures. And then the problem is actually pretty much exactly the one that your friend identified, which is if it passes then as a ballot measure, like normally, like if if legislators want to pass a law that says something should be funded or something should happen, like, you know, they have to figure out where that money is going to come from. They can't just say, we hereby declare there shall be a new subway on fourth admission. They have to, you know, Figure out where the money is going to come from. Make sure that it's even possible to put one there. Like, make sure that it's legal to put one there. Like, there's a lot of things that have to happen to make sure that it's actually like even reasonable. And ballot measures just completely skip all of that, including the funding part, which means (laughs) you know the state has you know made its budget, and then now there's a sudden surprise. You also have to fund the "everyone gets a pony" initiative of 2023. So, while there are occasionally rare ones where it's like, well, okay, maybe this one does more good than harm. I feel like there's a definite argument to be made, at least in the California approach, which spoiler, that's where I live, um, is let's let's say open to abuse. And so it's to the point at this point where like basically if I unless I've heard a really good argument otherwise, when I'm going down the election ballot, I just automatically vote no on all of those, even if they sound like a good idea, because even some of the ones that sound like a good idea are Misguided in the same way, where they're like, "Let's do this good thing." We just haven't made sure it's legal or practical or any of that. We just want to declare that this should be done. So, anyway, all this to say, I feel like I, I feel like there's some defense for for your buddy there.
0: Are you positing that then that every bill that that I pass on the street deserves the the filibuster treatment?
1: The, let, let's extend the thought of like, okay, so what if? Everyone just auto filibustered street signature collectors.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's if ninety we-
1: if if my numbers right, that ninety percent of them are bad ideas financed by companies trying to get around the legislature. Then if everybody auto filibustered them, that would make those an impractical method to get things on the ballot, which might be doing more good than harm. Like it might be as in it might be better to make that harder or impossible than to allow it to continue to keep putting things on the ballot that people vote for.
0: Yeah, so the problem being that it's the the, the well-funded volunteers that are being paid by the big corporations that, like, if this becomes the norm, they're all going to ha- start having really good explanations for the data science behind these bills, whereas the, 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 the grassroots ones will not be as well-funded and won't have as good explanations.
1: If they're putting forth a bill and they can make a – Good argument for both why it's a good idea and why we should do it as a ballot measure instead of through a normal legislative process. Then excellent. You know, if there's a good reason, then I, I guess I would say it doesn't really matter if it came from a well-funded corporation or a grassroots movement or somewhere else. Like if it's if it's a logically consistent, and good explanation, then cool. Mission accomplished.
0: Oh, it's it's so much easier to determine where something came from than whether it's good, though.
1: Well, that's true.
0: I don't have that kind of time, man. I don't have that kind of time to, to, to make all, these, all the decisions I need to make in my life. No, I'm just asking what college you went to. <laughs> are we ready for another topic?
1: No, because I feel like I kind of sucked up too much oxygen on that one, and I want to hear what Alex thinks about it.
2: <laughs> all right, sure. That's fine. I actually do have some thoughts here. Uh, so there was a time a number of years ago when I actually briefly volunteered for a political campaign and did some canvassing in my neighborhood. And I did what I could to study up for the, the candidate I was canvassing for ahead of time. And I'm definitely glad I didn't run into anybody who wanted to engage me in this way that I'm sure your friend would have, because <laughs> I was not prepared for such a thing. So I've kind of seen the other end of this a little bit.
0: Yeah, no, this is a, this is a great perspective. You got you to gotta jump in with this stuff. Sure. like. I- uh, or I could, or I could just learn to ask everybody what they think about every topic.
2: <laughs> I'm just too polite to interrupt.
0: That's fair. That's fair. Uh,
2: yeah. So I had some interesting experiences uh, meeting some of my neighbors that I normally wouldn't have uh, gotten to know um, at the time. So it was it was interesting to do. I don't think I would do it again, but. Yeah, there was also just kind of an internal conflict. Like, how much do I really believe these things that I'm I'm promoting all around my neighborhood? Like, I want to present myself as if this is a great idea. You should vote for this person. But how prepared am I really to defend that?
1: Yeah. And I guess there is kind of a, an expectation from anyone that you meet. That like, well, well, this guy's volunteering for this, so they are obviously invested in this cause and must, you know, be prepared to defend it ideologically.
0: Right. Yeah. And Alex, what did you
2: think of Cyberpunk? I've watched a couple of videos of people reviewing it. I haven't played it myself. Um,
0: oh, did you watch the Tim Rogers review?
2: I did. Yes,
0: that's right. <laughs> I didn't. There was it noteworthy. Oh, it was t- Tim Rogers' videos are like he has this shtick where there's these. It, it's overly scripted, overly long. Videos every single time. I think the Cyberpunk review was like eight hours long.
2: Yeah, it was like seven or eight. That's what I remember. I'm not sure if I watched the whole thing,
0: but I watched a (laughs) lot of it.
2: Yeah, so somehow, Chris, what you said about the game made me more interested to try it myself than Tim's review did. I guess Tim's review is more like, well, I see the main points of it and I don't really need to do it myself. But I don't know. Now you made me a little bit curious, I guess.
1: Well, it's on sale, or at least it was on sale about a month ago around black Mm -hmm. friday Mm -hmm. and i suspect (laughs) it still is because they just released their like ultimate edition that's you know the bundle of uh the main plus the expansion i have no idea about the quality of the expansion content um i think i've heard that people generally liked it but i literally only just walked up to the place where you start Mm -hmm. like the the expansion place so i know nothing about it but i have definitely had i was not interested in this game at all for quite a while because you know i was excited at first tentatively because i'd heard good things about the witcher mm-hmm. and then the launch happened and it was very clear the game was not the thing i was envisioning so i just kind of forgot about it for a while until a couple like two months ago when a friend of mine started playing it and i discovered it was very fun to like sit in chat with him while he played it and streamed it and i would kind of watched in a little window well I did programming on a game that I'm working on, which happens to have as a theme hacking and cyber future corporation things. So there were there was some thematic overlap. And I found it weirdly motivating to like have that going in the background while I was working on stuff. So I did that a bunch.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So you can sort of justify this as research for the game you're working on. <laughs>
1: yeah. At the very least, like kind of mood board sort of things. Mm-hmm. But in the process, I was like, this game's really like, wow. I kept seeing things that impressed me and made me kind of want to try it. So finally, after he was finished with it, I figured I'm maybe it's time to do it. I I, I fall into this trap where there will be games that i want to play or just things that i want to experience like media of some kind like movies that i've been meaning to watch or anime that i've meaning to start or games that i've been meaning to play and somehow if there are things that i think i'll really like i put them off even farther telling myself Mm. well i can't start it now i've got all this stuff going on in my life and i need some time to like really savor this and then Which then leads just me never getting around to it. So,
0: yeah. But think of it this way: like the longer you put it off, the greater the anticipation, the more exciting it is when you finally.
1: (laughs) The flip side, of course, is the longer you put it off, the fewer people there are that you can like talk about it with. Right, (laughs) because they're like, "Oh yeah, that kid, Right, the one with the the car. I think there was a car. The car talked. (laughs) Right. So, um. Oh yeah, Mr. Feeney. Mr. Feeney
0: played that car.
1: Is this an actual thing, or is this part? just continuing a bit.
0: <laughs> well, it's definitely a bit. But the 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 car from Kit was voiced by the actor who played Mister Feeney from Boy Meets World.
1: Kit from Knight Rider.
0: Yeah. Uh huh. Oh,
1: I'm thinking of the one from because wasn't it wasn't there a talking car in Kung Fury that was voiced by David David Hasselhoff? Oh, I don't know that. Or did one. I imagine that? I didn't. I didn't. Wa- I never watched that. Well, anyway. Yeah, long story short, over Thanksgiving break, I had some time off and I was like, I'm going to play something that I bet will take a while, but I think I'll enjoy. And so I grabbed Cyberpunk from the Black Friday deals and uh, never looked back.
2: Neat. You know, it's funny you mentioned that being Thanksgiving break. That was how I got back into World of Warcraft a couple of years ago, briefly. (laughs) So that same time of year. It's like, you know, I'm curious what this game is like uh, uh, nowadays. So that was when I decided to try it.
0: I got into World of Warcraft. I was like, this is, I don't have time for this game. And I got into World of Warcraft when I was like stressed about starting a new job.
2: Oh, well,
1: that sounds like a good planning.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it worked out great. <laughs> I
1: somehow dodged the World of Warcraft bullet. Mm, I'd been playing, mm-hmm. there was a game at around the time called City of Heroes, which was another MMO, except you played as a superhero. I've heard of this. And I'd been playing it. And then World of Warcraft came out, and I was tentatively curious, and then I watched some, and everything about it just made me think that, like, I just would rather be playing City of Heroes. Like, So City of Heroes made some very good decisions early. Like, they figured out, you're a superhero, you should not start your adventure killing 12 rats for their pill pelts like mm-hmm. that's just not how this goes like the lamest thing a superhero should have to deal with is stopping purse snatches or something like at the very least you should be doing something on like that level dealing with like street thugs or something and then you know up to dealing with giant city destroying monsters and mecha and super villains with laser armed layers and that kind of thing like there's, there's a big range there but they started you off dealing with things that didn't feel insulting And they understood that fighting like 12 little guys was much more fun than fighting like two big guys. And so they gave you, like, big crowds of mooks to deal with, and they gave you, like, big bombastic superpowers for your, like, making it rain fire or mm. setting traps and, like, luring people into them. Or it doesn't sound very heroic when I say it like that, but, you know, <laughs> kind of heroic. And just they gave you a lot of fun, big things. And then I went over and watched World of Warcraft and... uh my friend was like, okay, here, I'm going to fight these I'm going to fight these elementals. And there's like two big elementals. And he runs over and like casts an ice spell on one. And like you could barely see it. Like a little tiny Mm -hmm. blue thing appeared on his foot and then he stopped moving. And he's like, aha, I froze him to the ground. And I'm like, that's the dumbest looking thing. I I I don't want to play that. (laughs) I want to go back to City of Heroes where my ice manipulator can like freeze the floor of the whole room and everyone starts slipping around like an ice rink and falling down. And then I like start chucking icicles at people or whatever that does
2: sound like more fun
1: it was a really good game it was kind of ahead of its time in a lot of ways because i also understood that it was a superhero game and that part of being a superhero was inventing a persona and with a unique costume so it had hands down the best like costume editor at its time and i remember playing it with my friend and we were thinking wow this is great i love that they've done this i'm looking forward to playing all future RPGs that will have as good a costume maker. And then just Mm. the world forgot. (laughs) And
0: how's the, how's the character editor in cyberpunk?
1: Um, pretty I mean, it's about what you would expect. I mean, it has, it has some voices. It has some, um, it has the usual array of like, pick your hairstyle, pick your eyes, eye color, facial features, adjust some sliders for your face shape. I mean, it's fine. It's, the most of the things that you interact with most often are like what clothing you're wearing. Cause those are the things that you see on your limbs when you see your limbs. Yeah. Unless you're like actually looking in the mirror uh, or looking at the character screen, you otherwise generally don't see yourself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The mirrors are funny because they got around the problem of, you know, mirrors are expensive in 3d rendering, right? Like you need to be doing some ray tracing or rendering the scene multiple times or an extra time from another angle or other th- like most of the ways of making reactive mirrors are expensive, especially if you want it to look look good.
0: Right. So the way they
1: did it in Cyberpunk is all the mirrors are cyber mirrors. They're like LED screens. And when you walk over to them and interact with them, then they change from being a blank screen to a pixel to a oh. just pixelated enough to make it clear to screen picture of real-time reflection of you very clever and then when you walk away they turn back to blank it's like okay that's i guess there was one other place where you got to see yourself that i thought was a great little bit of like cyberpunk future part of the early tutorial thing where they're walking you through most of the game features is you go to your doctor who uh offers to upgrade your cyber gear before you do your your big job you've got you've got coming up and in particular, he's like, Oh, I'm worried about you. Well, here, I got some new cyber eyes for you. We'll just replace your old model with these. <laughs> and as part of it, like, you know, as you sit in the chair, and again, all first person, and then he like pulls your eyes out. But because they're, like, electronic cyber eyes, they're still functioning, so you're still seeing out of them as you, like, oh. carries them across the room and put them in a stand and pulls out the other ones and walks back over to you.
0: So you that's, that's cool. That's a cool idea. Cool it scene. was a
1: really neat idea. It was well executed. And, like, most of the ones like that, they didn't make a big thing of it. They just casually did it, and you're like, oh, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Those are my cyber eyes. And then you, like, plug some new ones into you, and there's, like, a screen of static for a moment. Everything's back to normal. But... Hmm. That's that's one of the few places where you actually get to see yourself. (laughs) It's not a mirror.
0: One of my favorite examples of how a first-person game handled mirrors was—I think it was an MDK two. Oh, that's old. Yeah, it—you know—it predated it being common for there to be—you know—reflections, and you need to do a bunch of work, like extra work, for your engine to support mirrors. Mm -hmm. You'd go into the bathroom, and the the place where the mirror would be, just there was a texture saying. Your reflection not available at this time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice. I thought it was interesting like the build engine, like the one of Duke Nukem.
0: Yeah, that was a portal engine. So they basically got mirrors for free because of that.
1: Yeah, cuz it was kind of a ray, it was kind of doing ray tracing because of how it worked. And so yeah, they had they had mirrors. They still cost they still had
0: a cost. Oh yeah, yeah. All the extra rendering. I think it
1: was like Shadow Warrior, maybe, had like a a nice train set piece where there was like a big saloon car with a big mirror behind the whole thing that just blew me away at the time. Right. And those always seem kind of fun to me also because those are an example of a a spot where rendering technology at the time, like you say, kind of got them for free. And then rendering technology changed and we were using like, you know, fixed function 3D pipelines and we stopped getting that free. Yeah. And then like we started, you know, then shader programmable pipelines and, and shaders. And shaders everything, made like, it fun
0: again. Yeah. Made it
1: fun again. And we kind of rediscovered this technique. And there's, there's a couple like that. Like Quake had the underwater effect where it like distorted the screen <laughs> in interesting ways. Right. And then we lost that for a while. And then we got it back when shaders appeared.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Right.
1: Or um, the other one is. NES era, like oh man, these enemies must be different because they're just like the other one, but they're red. Because palette swaps were a super easy way of making things, and then we stopped being able to do that easily yeah, until yeah. shaders, and then we can <laughs> do palette swaps again.
0: The the best you could do you, was you could like you could do vertex lighting on your texture, but then you could only you could only make it darker. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Anyway, I just I just find it fascinating that there's techniques like multiple, like there's three. I'm sure there's more that were commonplace and then just stopped being viable for a while before becoming viable again.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would one of you like to read this poem or shall I read the poem? I think this poem should read the poem. Okay. This poem is called piece of shit. And according to your research, I think Chris, it's possibly by Sam pink. What I have is just a screenshot or, or rather a photo of a book, a screenshot of a book. That's a very funny. A page shot. Yes.
1: Also, I want to make it clear for anyone listening that this is the title of the poem is not a piece of shit or even piece of shit. It's piece a shit.
0: Yeah, piece a shit is how I would pronounce that. (laughs) I feel like that's the intended pronunciation. Uh, I I, I can read this. This is fine. When I see a frog and it takes a hop away from me, it's like, what the fuck, man? And seen. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing.
1: It's kind of great. I like that poem.
0: Some of my favorite poetry just paints a portrait of a time and place and like the the, the experience of being there. Yeah. And I think this falls in that category. Thank you, Sam. Maybe Sam Pink.
1: Right. I mean, it, it seriously reminds me of the Red Wheelbarrow. Oh, yeah. The Definitely. The Williams poem. The, yeah. Just like this very minimalistic description of like, a red wheelbarrow with some water on it from the rain, and there's white chickens around it. And that's right. just and all it is. It's like eight it's lines. It's an
0: important wheelbarrow, yeah.
1: This reminds me of that, and I like that. It reminds me of that yeah. in a good way. So, and
0: this poem did it without having to describe any chickens.
1: I mean, the chickens are like a bonus, right? Like, you've already got the wheelbarrow, you think you're done, and then it's like, haha, free chickens. Like that's D- that was DLC.
0: Part
1: of a- <laughs> DLC chickens. <laughs> Well, there was the poem. I'm a little sad that we're wrapping it up, though, because I was looking forward to hearing about, maybe it's not a topic, but Alex had mentioned, uh, poetry.
2: Oh, right. Yeah. The poetry. So, so the way you read that, Jim was, uh, it flowed better than what I was imagining in my head when I looked at the words in the page. Uh, yeah. So poetry is a little bit of a mystery to me. Like I don't actually understand, like, what makes this text itself poetry. Like-
0: oh I have a theory about this. So if you want a, a a primer on what is poetry and how to read poetry, listening to the past year of topic Lords is probably really bad but <laughs> but I have been doing a poem every every episode.
2: Yeah, so surely you're gaining some understanding of this right.
0: so my my hypothesis is that poetry is when you do something interesting with line breaks okay So if this, poem were all like in a paragraph oh. or on one line that would be prose but when you put when you hit enter at an unexpected time that's a that's poetry
2: mhm i see i knew some people who used to type like this like in in
0: uh, in <laughs> chats oh yeah
1: i used to type like that at gym all the time and it drove him crazy
0: <laughs> and that's why we don't talk anymore
1: he <laughs> <laughs> sent me messages like could you just have that one message and not send me five separate messages it's making my computer beep a lot
0: <laughs> <laughs> and later on it would make my phone vibrate it was like my phone vi- just vibrated like five seconds apart from full minute it's like okay i think i know what's happening <laughs> <laughs> i bet i know who that is and and honestly like so now we're talking about instant messenger notifications this is a solvable problem and no one's even tried <laughs> Like, this is a a phenomenon. I'm not the, I'm not the only person to complain about this phenomenon. And you're not the only person who's like, that's just how I'm wired. I have to hit enter. And like, we, we could both be made happy without changing our behavior by using like good, smart software, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. having some sort of like notification throttling. No one's ever, as far as I can tell, even attempted to do this sort of thing. Well,
1: for, so. From your point of view the issue is oh man it's annoying getting all those things so it'd be the the so that that seems like an easy solution right like maybe when you get a message from somebody no more notifications until you've seen them until you've seen their messages so if they send you one message or 10 messages you yeah. only get one well vibrator. what
0: I want what I want actually is the behavior that I would want is for uh, to delay the notification for 10 seconds Uh, until you have – there's been 10 seconds where you haven't sent a message Mm. and then send the notifications because then like, oh, like here's uh, two paragraphs of text I can read all at once.
1: See, and the the behavior that I want is – this is going to sound really pretentious when I say this, but I remember (laughs) at the time thinking as I was sending it that like – because I'd say something and then sometimes I'd just think of something that I wanted to add to it, but sometimes I'd also be thinking of it in terms of like – the timing of reading it around like how long I imagined it would take you to read it before I like revealed the surprising twist or whatever, yeah, which was completely like ridiculous. Like I, I recognize that's not the right way to use the technology, but if we're talking about fanciful technological panaceas, then I would want the code. I would want it to instead tell you a notification. Hey, Chris sent you a message. And then when you go to look at it, it would remember the time delay between them <laughs> and play them back for you with the appropriate
0: timing. This is like ultra poetry, not just, there aren't just line breaks. Each line has a timing, a timing attached to it. This is like uh, in, in Mario galaxy when the little dudes would say transform and there's a little delay when between the, when the letters for trans appear and then form appears yeah. like a second later.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You can do some really interesting things with, I hadn't even thought about the comparison to RPG text, but like, I remember thinking when I was watching Mario, Super Mario thousand year door, like they get a ton of mileage out of their timing for the text mm-hmm. for things like that. Yeah. Just for making it seem like people are saying things in various ways. Like, Oh, it's going, they're saying they're talking really quickly here or they're really drawing it out. Or they had like an animated one for the letters kind of, you know, just the like the letters would orbit their center point slightly, but they all be slightly offset on times. So the whole word would kind of like, sine wave Mm -hmm. which they could make for spooky ghost noises or whatever and yeah i guess yeah because it's very evocative like like the transform example you totally understand what they're saying and how they're saying it yep um i like also i really just like the term hyper poetry (laughs) you should do a very special episode of topic lords sometime like maybe for april where it's poem lords where you have (laughs) like a selection of poems then you have a topic break where you talk about something Oh, man, just
0: seven poems on the itinerary. We're only going to do three of them, though. Right? (laughs) And and then one topic in between. Exactly. And that's all the time we have for Poetry Lords. The only place on the internet where you can hear poems read aloud. (laughs) Alex, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? I
2: don't have a ready answer to that right now. I probably should, but at the moment, I'm probably a little bit hard to find. YouTube, I guess. I have a YouTube channel. That's probably the best place.
0: And you're on the Topic Lords Discord. That's right, there too. Yes, you can find me there. And Chris, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet?
1: They can't. Okay. And it's best if they don't look.
0: <laughs> yeah. This is this is gonna come out like months after I fixed it, but there was a a some period of time, I have no idea how long it was, where the Topic Lord's Patreon was misconfigured so that the only two options were like joining for free, and I don't even I don't even know if that got you anything, hmm. or joining for five dollars an episode. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which is – that's pretty steep Yeah, for, for a podcast. That's a real for money For weekly podcast. I mean, the episodes are worth it. Well, I mean, obviously I think so. <laughs> I don't know when this happened. I don't know how long it was the case for. For like 15 minutes, I had a little poem in the description of the $5 an episode tier saying, basically, I'm sorry, I'm trying to remove it. So <laughs> – <laughs> If you saw that, oh god,
1: that- why is this happening? I'm not good at computer.
0: <laughs> if you saw that, you're lucky. Uh, and if you tried to give me some amount of money other than five dollars an episode, I'm sorry. But yeah, if you wanna, if you want to be on the Topic Lords Discord, that's how you get in. You either become a lord and you get in for free because you're a lord, or you give me some amount of money once and then you can quit and i won't bother to remove you because who would do that who would do that (laughs) thanks so much for being on (laughs) thank you so much for having us thanks for having us hi this is jim this is the audio i append to every episode of topic lords congratulations to our newly anointed lords this episode was edited by esper quinn who can also edit your episode if you contact them on twitter If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!